You're listening to the Hawaii Bankruptcy Podcast with attorneys Lars Peterson and Rick Abelman. The points that we're going to discuss here are legal principles that have application in generality to those listening. This is not intended to be legal advice for your specific situation, and you are not a client of our firm unless we have a written engagement agreement. Today we're talking about debt settlement uh, and bankruptcy. Debt settlement or debt negotiation uh, is often a precursor to somebody looking at bankruptcy. And I, I totally get it. I mean, nobody has bankruptcy on a bucket list saying, before I die, I want to make sure I file a chapter or something. Um, debt settlement seems to be kind of the next step after people say, I'm going to try to work this out on my own, and then it doesn't work out. And they say, well, who can I get to help me do this? They find an attractive advertisement that says, hey, we'll get rid of your debt for 50 cents on the dollar. Just sign up with us and we'll work our magic. Um, That can work occasionally. Uh, We talked to a lot of people where it didn't work. And we'd like to talk a little bit about why that is. So in debt settlement, uh, this is not something that requires an attorney or even a third party. You can settle debts on your own. It's basically a negotiation. If you think about going down to the farmer's market and you see some bananas and they say, you know, $4 for these bananas and you walk up to the person and say, how about $3? And they say, three fifty. you got a deal. You just negotiated a settlement, right, on the purchase of that. When you have debt, uh, many times people don't understand that you can often find yourself in the same sort of negotiating position. Now, most people don't think, well, I'm going to sign this huge credit card agreement, rack up some charges, and then go back to them and try to settle something out. But you need to understand uh, how this works. This is money, right? Somebody's lending you money in the hopes that they will be able to profit off of your borrowing by way of interest. And that means that when you pay back the money that you borrowed, you're going to pay an additional fee for the privilege of borrowing it. And it's not just for the privilege of borrowing it, but it's also to compensate the lender for the risk that you may not pay it back. So at the end of the day, if I loan out a dollar to 10 friends and I say in one week you pay me back the dollar and another 10 cents, just in case somebody doesn't pay back. And let's say nine people pay me back a dollar and 10 cents. Well, I got my $9 back and I also got 90 cents in interest, but I'm short one friend who didn't pay. I'm short $1. So out of that transaction, I lost 10 cents. That means I didn't charge enough interest. And that's why your credit card interest is at 15% or 28% because that's what happens when people default and the credit card company still wants to make money. So in debt settlement, when you come to somebody and say, hey, my bills are paid every month and uh, I pay in full every month, but I have this $20,000 balance, I'd like to pay you less. They're going to say, no, thank you. Continue paying in full. Now, let's say something else happens and you don't pay for a month and they say, hey, you forgot to pay, Lars. Uh, And you say, "Mm, I'm running low on money. And then two months goes by and they say, Lars, you better pay us. Otherwise, we're going to have to do something that we don't want to do, and then you still don't pay. And then three and four months goes by, and they say, Lars, we're sending this to a collection agency, a professional collector who does nothing but call people and tell them to pay up. 
And then that guy comes and calls Lars and says, Lars, you better pay or we're going to do bad things to your credit. Uh, then you might have some leverage. You say, well, what are the chances right now that you're going to get the whole you know, $10,000 from me right now? Uh, they're getting lower by the day. You know, statistically, there's a bunch of really smart math people who can actually tell you the number, the percentage of likelihood that you are to, uh, you know, collect on these debts in a way that will make you whole. And so as that percentage goes down over time, the person negotiating gains leverage to be able to say, I don't have 10, but I can give you seven in a lump sum. Would that work? And you'll be surprised that you will start to get some sort of a deal that starts to take shape where they say, well, if you pay 8200 by tomorrow, then we would accept that in satisfaction. So, Rick, you are saying that I have great negotiating power, but what does it depend on? Does it depend on my income or my assets at all? Or can I just always offer a really good deal for me and tell them they need to accept that? You want to put yourself in the shoes of the person collecting the money. If I'm collecting from Lars and I know that he has a gold teddy bear collection that's worth a million dollars per teddy bear and he's got 50 of them. And he says, Rick, I'm really low on cash right now. I only have these $6 bills in my wallet. I'm going to assume that Lars has the ability to figure out how to sell one of those teddy bears and actually pay me off. On the other hand, if Lars says, hey, I lost my job three months ago. Uh, I'm living off food stamps and uh, in public housing and I really don't have any money and I can verify that. Uh, is it likely that I'm going to see that $10,000? Not so much, right? And so if Lars says, hey, I can borrow some money from a family member to pay you half of what you owe, I'm going to be much more likely to take that deal because I'm going to get some money versus the likelihood of getting no money if Lars is uncooperative. If I go ahead and pursue Lars, he's got no wages for me to garnish because he's unemployed. He's got no house for me to put a lien on because he doesn't own any property. He's got no money in the bank because he's using food stamps and he doesn't have any income. I've got nothing except a way to spend more money to get less back. So that gives Lars the leverage that he needs. Now, if you as a borrower are going to go out and do this, you can absolutely try to do that. Uh, but you want to make sure that you're looking at this the right way. The first step that most people are going to take is to say, okay, I don't have enough money coming in to pay all these bills. I got to fix my budget. And for most people, fixing the budget means you start cutting back on expenses. So if you're going out to eat every night, you say, I'm going to start cooking at home. I'm going to eat out once a week maybe. I'm going to bring food to work for lunch. Uh, I'm going to stop you know, going to see $12 movies. I'm going to you know, stop traveling for fun. I'm going to try to cut back on these monthly expenses. Once you've gone through that and it's still not enough to cover the bills, then people start to get desperate and they say, well, uh, maybe I can skip my electric bill this month and I'll use that money to pay this credit card. And then next month I'll skip the credit card and pay the electric bill so that the electricity doesn't get turned off. But that snowballs your late fees, your interest, and soon you're in a position where the budgeting is no longer working and you need to move to debt settlement. Now, if you've only got one debt, you could probably figure it out. And in fact, we have a kind of formula that we use informally where we say if your debt exceeds 33% of your annual income for your household, you're probably going to have a difficult time here in Hawaii being able to 
you know, manage that debt on your own through budgeting. Uh, that means if you owe $30,000, your income should be around $100,000 as a household in order to service that debt and still be able to pay for housing and food and gas and all the things that we that we pay for in this beautiful place. So, Rick, is there a difference whether I just have this one credit card, like my Bank of Hawaii credit card or the Hawaiian Airlines card that's bothering me, or I actually have six credit cards and three personal loans and money is getting really tight now? What do I do? Yeah, one credit card, I would say knock yourself out with the debt settlement. Um, go ahead and try and negotiate that. You could probably get it. When you get to five, six creditors, here's the problem. You might be able to negotiate one or two of them or maybe even four of them. But what if the biggest one says, no, we don't negotiate and you owe us the full $20,000? Then after paying out all that money, after doing all that work, you're still stuck with a creditor who's coming after you, who's not going to budge. And you may very likely find yourself in a situation where you're looking at a bankruptcy anyways. But what if I fell for one of these great advertisements where they told me I just start paying them, like they would do debt consolidation for me? Or what, what does that mean? Will that not work? Is that not a promise, a guarantee? Well, the problem is, is that they are collecting fees up front in most cases. So the first two or three months, maybe more of what you're paying in goes directly to their upfront fees. And then they start to take some of the money that you're paying in and put it into an escrow account in order to start settling your debt. The problem is, is they're going to start with the smallest debt first and they're going to give you some easy wins at a low amount and then they're going to save the big tough ones for the end. And those are the ones that usually don't work out. If you read the fine print, you'll find out that they don't represent you in litigation. They will often refer you to a bankruptcy attorney once you get to that point, which leads you right back to maybe where you should have started in the beginning. Because if I tell you today, you can engage in two or three years of budgeting, eating Simon every meal and, you know, trying to negotiate your debt. And then at the end of the three years, you're still going to have to file a bankruptcy or you can file a bankruptcy today. And in three or four months, you can be out of the bankruptcy recovering yourself still with all that money that you used to do the debt settlement in your retirement or in your savings where you had it before you're in a much better position. So, um, absolutely worth a consultation to try to figure out when is the point where you should say, now I'm going to consider the bankruptcy. Uh, you don't have to file the bankruptcy just because you do a consultation with us. We're going to tell you what the bankruptcy looks like for you and what signals you should be looking for to trigger that. Uh, earlier is better. If you know what bankruptcy looks like for you, I mean, in an ideal situation, you never come back. You never hit that point. You know what could have happened. You know where the boundaries would have been, but you never hit that, and so you're good. If you hit those and you know, hey, this is what I thought about, this is now the time, then you know what it looks like, you know what to expect, and you can come and talk to us, and we'll, we'll happily help you out. Thank you for listening to the Hawaii Bankruptcy Podcast.